Rinkwide Vancouver. Well, the Vancouver Canucks haven't had many clunkers on home ice this season, but they certainly did on Thursday night as they fall 5-1 to the Los Angeles Kings. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. Jeff Patterson joined in studio by Harmon Dial, and we are coming to you from the Wall Center Hotel in downtown Vancouver. And Center really says it all. The Wall Center in the middle of the downtown core, close to just about everything from restaurants to shopping to sports venues and English Bay. If you're considering a stay in downtown Vancouver, make sure you put the Wall Center on your list. The Wall Center is close to everything. The Canucks harm, they were not close to the Los Angeles Kings. Well, I guess they were for a short stint there early in the third period, but... Uh, the Kings then pull away. 5-1 is the final, and I think that's a fairly accurate portrayal of the way the game went. Maybe not a four-goal difference, but the Los Angeles Kings were the better team. They got out in front. They forced the Canucks to chase, and wherever that energy was from Saturday against the Boston Bruins, there was none of it in the opening 20 minutes at Rogers Arena. Yeah, that first period was probably the most uneventful of the entire Canucks season. And from LA's perspective, that's exactly the way they want to play. They dictated the terms of how this game was played. They slowed the game down to their speed. And why wouldn't they want to play that way? Because you look at the way these rosters are constructed, the Canucks have the superstar skill in Pedersen, Hughes, Miller. The Kings don't. But what the Kings do have are smart two-way hockey players, responsible veterans, who play the game, the quote-unquote, the right way, understand all the fundamentals that Rick Tockett, for example, preaches about. And so they want to play the game at that style. And it was so evident right from the drop of the puck how well the Kings could just pack the middle, especially anytime the Canucks tried to carry the puck through the neutral zone. They would have three, four guys defending the blue line. It would be forced to the outside, or the corners, and from there, Kings won every puck battle. And it was that was that was how they killed rush after rush after rush that the Canucks were trying to generate in the first two periods. And of course, it didn't help from Vancouver's perspective either that their own passing on breakout, especially in the first two periods, was completely out of sync. Uh, they weren't able to connect plays. Passes were off the mark. Even when passes were on the mark, it felt like guys couldn't handle the puck can accept passes cleanly. It was um, pretty ugly all around, and it just sort of felt like the Canucks, both in terms of breakouts and trying to activate the forecheck, it was like watching it in slow motion. It wasn't quite as bad, I don't think, on balance as the game in Seattle last week, but it wasn't far off, and particularly on home ice. I mean, the Canucks have been incredible at home this year. They've put on shows, they've entertained, and most of all, they have won... 20 wins on home ice, but all of a sudden, a loss to the Winnipeg Jets, an overtime loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins the other night, a loss here to the Los Angeles Kings, uh, one win now in their last four, and none of them in regulation. The only win was against the Boston Bruins, and we referenced that one, and you know they'll take that victory, obviously, but one win now in seven hockey games for the Vancouver Canucks, who have been riding along atop the Pacific Division, the Western Conference, and for most of this season, the National Hockey League standings, but they are starting to invite teams back into the mix. Now, they got a little bit of help on the out-of-town scoreboard. Boston scored late to beat Vegas 5-4, to so Vegas out on the road doing an Eastern road trip, and they get nothing. But uh, the Vancouver Canucks, despite some help on the out-of-town scoreboard, 
couldn't help themselves. And you're right, like struggle to just make simple passes. Uh, when they did break the puck out, generally the Kings had two or three guys back and it became one on three and there wasn't much the Canucks could do. Maybe it was an ominous sign that Archie Baines took a penalty 16 seconds into the hockey game. That comes a day after Rick Tockett tried to crack the whip on penalties and cutting down on penalties and trips to the penalty box and 16 seconds in, here's the rookie. And we've liked a lot of the hustle and some of the things that he's done, but three penalties now in his first five games in the National Hockey League. He is so far down the list of issues. We can talk about Archie Bain's night, but, you, you know, you mentioned, like, the Kings' crafty veterans. Drew Doughty opens the scoring. I say Kopitar adds to their lead. Kevin Fiala is one of their top players. You know, those guys all over the score sheet. And, look, I know that Dakota Joshua is still missing, and that has absolutely hurt the Vancouver Canucks. But guess what? The Kings are without Adrian Kempe. They're leading scorer. They don't score a lot. They're leading scorer harm out of the lineup indefinitely. And Mikey Anderson, who has basically been the caddy for Drew Doughty all season long, so a top pair defenseman on this team, and their identity is next guy up. Just keep playing the system, plug players in, and uh, they played their system to a T here. They smothered the Vancouver Canucks. The final shots on goal in this game, it was low event, 23-20 on the night. Uh, the Kings get three goals on six shots in the third period as they pulled away from the Vancouver Canucks. But uh, you got to put it at the feet of the best players. Uh, I thought it was a really tough night for Quinn Hughes. thought it was a tough night for Philip Heronik. It was another tough night for Elias Pettersson. And sure, JT Miller sets up Brock Besser. And, you know, it's good to see Brock scoring again. That's three straight games for him. Three straight games of the power play. I mean, that's the one bright spot. 35 now on the season for Besser. So, again, this quest for 40 and beyond and when he scores 255 into the third period, I'm thinking this is going to be like the Boston game the other night. Down 2 nothing, start the comeback. In fact, they started the comeback earlier in the third period than they did against the Bruins. They did that one with seven minutes to go. Here, they get some life, the power play, and then they give it right back. Kevin Fiala, uh, still not sure where Ian Cole was going on that play, but uh, you can't leave Kevin Fiala uh, that wide open at the side of the net, and uh, he snaps it past Thatcher Demko and the Kings back in front by two at that point, and they tack on two more to make it a 5-1 final. That third period felt a lot like watching last season's version of the Canucks. <laughs> yes, they have the talent, but it felt like, okay, there there's the turnovers. There's the frustration of running into a brick wall of a defensive team, and now you're forcing plays that aren't necessarily there as we saw on, especially on the last couple of uh, Kings goals where for instance, on the Brant Clark uh, goal, it's Elias Pettersson's trip of the puck down low by Anze Kopitar. Then it's Quinn Hughes getting caught pinching up the ice. How often does that happen? Right. And it's an on man break the other way uh, on the fifth goal. It's JT Miller who I don't even want to criticize the guy because through the first two periods, it felt like he was the only guy that had some pop and had some energy to his game, but forcing a cross seam pass that gets picked off and it's a Trevor Moore breakaway goal. Uh, one takeaway and one lesson heading into the rest of the season series against the Kings. And if these two teams meet in the playoffs is you can't let the Kings score first because they're just <laughs> going to park the bus. Yeah. Honestly, it's, yeah. it's sort of reminiscent of the New York Islanders of a couple of years ago where they're so sound structurally. They have the best PK in the NHL. They don't have the offensive horsepower 
to to score a lot of goals. And, and the Kings heading into this game had only scored eight in their last four games. And they've been playing inconsistent hockey. They got a coach fired 11 games ago. Yeah, and in that sense, like drawing it back to the Islanders, the game plan against the Islanders was if you let these guys score first, you're not coming back in this game. Uh, whereas the opposite was also true. If you if you start to score some goals, you know, on LA, they have trouble manufacturing offense. I hear what you're saying, but the Canucks is one of the highest scoring teams in the United States. Like, the game can't be over at one nothing. I agree. At two nothing, absolutely, you have invited all sorts of trouble, and that was the case. And you know, let's just go back and look at those goals. Uh, Doughty has all kinds of time. We saw Lars Eller the other night against Pittsburgh with all sorts of time. Walks right down Main Street here. Doughty just winds up and blasts it. Traffic in front of Thatcher Demko. I'm not sure that uh, he was able to to see that one. But still, you can't give anybody. But Drew Doughty's been at this for a while. 14 goals on the season now. So there were breakdowns there. It was kind of a slow change. And the Canucks were chasing to get back into position and set up defensively. And Doughty took care of that and blasted home. one nothing there. And then Kopitar. And look, Elias Pettersson hearing a lot of noise. We know that. I'm not sure what he heard in that instance, but just kind of threw the puck away in his own zone. And before you knew it, they're able to work it down low. Byfield gets it in front to Kopitar. Uh, and of all the goals, and situationally as well at one nothing, that's the one I, I think I would like to save there. I mean, it's a nice shot by Kopitar. But if we're looking at Thatcher Demko and his performance as well, I mean, he's culpable too. I mean, the Canucks want to believe that they've got an edge in goal anytime they run their their starter out there. And they've been doing a lot. Five straight starts for the first time all season. Nine of the last 10, 11 of 13 since the All-Star break. I have said my piece about being a little concerned about his workload. And I just didn't think he looked as sharp as he has at lots of other points this season. But I, I didn't like the Kopitar goal. Yeah, I'm not going to blame him for the third period because those were colossal breakdowns. Yep. But out of like between the Dowdy and Kopitar goal, I would have liked to save on one of them. Yep, uh, I think at least one of them you would have hoped for a stop there. Uh, Dowdy, when I understand, there may have been some traffic. I think there were there was another replay angle where it looked like Juleson may have been on the other side, and um, so I'd have to look at a bunch of replays. But between one of those. Uh, you definitely need um, a save there. One, one other interesting point in terms of the Pedersen turnover uh, on that Kopitar goal. On the replay, you notice that Laferriere, towards the end, as Pedersen was swooping to make that pass in an attempt to get it back to uh, the Canuck defenseman, Ferriere got a stick on Pedersen's stick, and that prevented him from being able to swoop it back. That's right. why the puck just went into space rather than going at an angle back toward uh, the defenseman. But it, you got to have better awareness in that situation. You, you really can't turn it over in, in that spot. And if you are going to turn it over, then you better make sure you're tying up Kopitar and not allowing that pass from below the goal line uh, into uh, the slot. Hyper-focus on Pedersen these days, understandably so. Uh, Storylines run deep, and they're rich, and he's going to be rich too. Uh, but they need more. They do. I mean, it's as simple as that. Uh, Rick Tockett talked about uh, maybe all this noise is weighing on him. He's just not playing his best hockey, nor close to the levels that we've seen him as recently as six weeks ago when he absolutely steamrolled through New Jersey and New York and Pittsburgh and was playing like one of the best players in the National Hockey League. Just a single shot on goal. We talk about his wingers. Uh, Mikheyev's now gone 30 without a goal. 
Uh, it's a podcast, you can't see me rolling my eyes, but 30 <laughs> games at this level playing with Elias Patterson without a goal, but didn't finish the game there because midway through, Rick Tockett again gets the blender out. And I understand where Tockett's coming from. I sort of see it both ways. Like, you're trying to forge chemistry with guys, but uh, it's not happening. And outside of JT Miller, nobody is driving play on this hockey club. And so Tockett spinning the wheel and trying to find something. Uh, replaced Mikheyev with Sam Lafferty. I'm not sure that, the, you know, that's a massive upgrade uh, in the moment. But whatever the case, Lafferty at times has stepped in there and brought some speed and and some physicality, but it, uh, it just didn't happen. What do you What do you make of Elias Pettersson's night? Tough, especially with um, with the with those two turnovers, right uh, on the Kopitar goal, and then later in the third period on uh, Brent Clark's goal. You could see the frustration starting to creep in as soon as he turned turned it over or was stripped by Kopitar. Um, you saw the stick slam, and, and that's going to be natural through through a stretch like this. But he isn't looking dangerous enough on a shift-by-shift basis. I I think when you see a lot of star players around the NHL, even if they're not producing, you see them leaving an impact, leaving a mark on games where they're creating a lot of pressure. They're building momentum for their team. And even in the absence of production, you'd like to see if he's not producing, at least drive play, at least build momentum, give your team energy, stack some offenses on shifts, tire the opposition out. And that's been a struggle as well. Now you add some of the defensive miscues tonight. Uh, very, very tough night. And I, I mean, the thing is, inevitably, Pedersen's going to get a lot of focus. Mm-hmm. But over this stretch, it just feels like there are so many players that need to pick up the slack. For sure. Like, even I'm looking at Quinn Hughes. We know how remarkable he's been this year. Yep. Uh, he is a f- deserved front runner for the Norris right now. Probably Canucks probably have had the best top pair in the NHL. Quinn Hughes has just, unless he picked up an assist tonight, uh, I'll sort of just reference six, six points in 11 games heading into tonight's game. Mm-hmm. And I can't recall if he had an assist on, one, on perhaps one of the power play goals, but six points in 12 games for Quinn Hughes. How many times do we see Hughes go through a stretch like that? So let's take it one step further. And again, like hear us when we say, we recognize the season he's had, but he's not above criticism. Like he's part of this team. They've got one win in seven. When he's tilting the ice in their favor, they're a much better hockey club. And it just hasn't happened for him since the All-Star break. But since the All-Star break, 13 games now, and he's got eight points, four on the power play, four at even strength in 13 games, is third on the Canucks among defensemen harm. Phil Aronik and Tyler Myers have more even strength points since the All-Star break than Quinn Hughes does. So it's not all Elias Pettersson. They need more from Elias Lindholm, obviously. Another quiet night for him. Connor Garland is so clearly missing his running mate in Dakota Joshua. He's just not the same player and hasn't been since Joshua left the lineup uh, again, Rick Tockett's trying to push buttons, but pretty hard to do when you got one forward in JT Miller that's going and Besser is scoring. So, okay, two, but Besser relies on Miller to get the pucks to him. And when he does, uh, you know, he's finding his scoring form again. And we said, uh, you know, that's the, if we're grasping at straws and trying to find a silver lining here, it's the fact that Brock Besser is finding his scoring touch, but they need a whole lot of other guys to do the same. And, you know, you mentioned earlier here on this podcast about, Quinn Hughes getting beaten. Like, when do we see that? 
Quinn Hughes resorted to the high flip at one point in the second period. Like, I, I can't, for the life of me, think of the last time Quinn Hughes just didn't break a puck out himself, but resorting to the high flip. And then he iced the puck in the third period. Now he was trying to hit a streaking guy and kind of the Hail Mary. It didn't work that way. But, you know, I leaned over to you and I said, like, how many times does Quinn Hughes ice the puck over the course of a season? Like, you could just tell. He was off. It just, it wasn't happening, whether he was paired with Noah Juleson to start the game. But even that, they went away. We saw the, like, Rick Tockett loaded up. We saw the lotto line with Hughes and Heronic for a few shifts in the third period. And they were pulling pucks out of their own net. Like, it, it wasn't working offensively. And it was blowing up in their face defensively. Yeah, and even, you want to bring this back to the point of, Looking throughout the lineup, I mean, Teddy Bluger has gone 25 games without uh, without scoring. Now 26 after this LA one. He hasn't scored since the calendar flipped to 2024. Right, the Philadelphia game out of the Christmas break. Yeah, and you think about how productive he was uh, for some for some stretches in the first half of the season, and I think I'm concerned about this stretch. I'm not panicking because. Typically what happens throughout the course of a season or in a specific stretch of hockey is you're inevitably going to have some guys that go cold. But when a couple guys go cold, other guys get hot. And so your teammates lift each other up. What's happened for the Canucks is up until the All-Star break, nearly everybody was firing on all cylinders, exceeding expectations. Since the All-Star break, nearly everybody except JT Miller has gone through a cold patch. That's not going to happen either, right? At at some point, maybe not all of these guys are going to pick up the slack, but some of them inevitably will. They're they're better hockey players uh, than this. Teddy Bluger's not going to go 25 games, another 25 games without scoring. Quinn Hughes is not going to be producing at a six points per 12-game stretch. Uh, Elias Lindholm, at some point, is going to start driving play and or at least putting up some points at least Patterson is so. going to look like Elias <laughs> Patterson at some point um so I'm not panicking but man it feels like every part of this lineup outside of maybe JT Miller is starting to shut down well I feel like I can match your not quite in terms of the games played but you've got your Teddy Bluger at 25 games Pia Suter now is up to 14 without a goal hasn't scored since the hat trick before the all-star break so there's a guy that's in your top six on a nightly basis, and he's gone the better part of it. Well, it has. This is the final game of February. He went the entire month without scoring, playing primarily with JT Miller and Brock Besser. So you're right. It's a hard league to win when you've got one alpha guy who's gone off this month, and the rest of them have all sort of gone into hiding offensively. And, you know, the recipe used to be best players, sure, on the few nights that they weren't leading the way. That third line, you know, defenseman Quinn Hughes, is, he hasn't scored since the home game against Chicago before the All-Star break. I think his 15 games now without a goal. So, you know, some of that secondary scoring has dried up. The primary scoring, aside from Miller and Besser, has also dried up. That's a caustic combination. And as a result, they have one win in their last five as they head out on the road now. And suddenly there's a little pressure on a game in Anaheim on Sunday because if you look beyond that, oh yeah, it's the Kings again at Crypto.com. Then it's Vegas, and then they come home, and they get the Winnipeg Jets, and then Colorado. Like, after that Anaheim game, that's a murderer's row for a team that just isn't in form right now. And, I mean, the Canucks have not struggled to generate offense all season long, but we've seen a lot of nights here, really since the Minnesota game, where everything went in at both ends of the ice, 
Uh, there just hasn't been a lot of offense from the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and specifically against some of the top teams in the West. Yep. Because you look now in the month of February, just two goals against the Winnipeg Jets, just one goal against Colorado Avalanche, just one goal against the LA Kings, and the one time the Canucks have played Vegas so far, just one goal uh, against them in November. And I'd even go the game in Seattle that was right off across the board, but... You know, JT Miller scored a bit of a strange one. Grubauer had lost his stick and the puck bounced out in front. And then Lafferty's goal pinballed off like five guys and wound up in the net. So it wasn't like grade A high dangers. Pucks found their way in. But, you know, even then the Canucks getting some bounces and it's still not helping them. But give the Kings credit. The Kings stuck to their system here. They were desperate. They lost in Calgary and in Edmonton. They didn't want to go home. They're in a battle. Like they're clinging to a wildcard spot. Nashville, in fact, pounded Minnesota 6-1. to one, And with that win, for the time being, the Predators actually moved past the Kings, who bumped into the second wildcard, but they flip again at the end of the night. So LA stays in the top wildcard spot. But that shows you, if the Canucks maintain top spot in the Pacific Division and the Western Conference, they could very well see the Los Angeles Kings in round number one. And that probably doesn't sit so well uh, with Canuck fans after watching this one. L.A. all over the Vancouver Canucks, 5-1, to one, all over them on the scoreboard at the very least. 5-1, uh, to one, the final score. It's Jeff and Harm with you here as we break things down. A lot still ahead on this episode of Rink Wide. We're going to hear from the coach and some players. Uh, Want to hear from you. Our listener feedback, we'll get to that a little bit later on at Rink Wide Van. We'll get the three-star selection, a staff that stands out, and we will look ahead to the road trip that starts on Sunday in Anaheim against the Ducks. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. LA Kings defeat the Vancouver Canucks 5-1 to one at Rogers Arena. Jeff and Harm with you here. Hey, before we get to some post-game audio, uh, we got to at least mention Noah Juleson because I thought maybe that would be a turning point. One of the hits of the year, the Ferrier probably still looking for uh, his body parts and his equipment. Like, you don't see guys get stood up like that, like absolutely pancaked, but a clean hit. And that's what Noah Juleson does when he's on his game. But man, did he smoke him early in the second period. Especially in open ice like that, right? You can think of maybe Jacob Truba and outside of that, who hits in open ice like that? Yeah. We talk about Nikita Zadorov as one of the more more physical players in the NHL. Even he doesn't really blow guys up like that. Uh, so, yeah, I thought considering the slow um, kind of malaise, lethargic, lack of energy type of start that you throw a hit like that, maybe it wakes a team, wakes your team up. It, it jolts them. And uh, it unfortunately just didn't. But, yeah, that was a beauty of a hit. And when things aren't going your way, uh, Niels Hoaglander hits the outside of the post in the first period. Connor Garland off that Myers wraparound. Like, there were some opportunities that didn't go the Canucks' way, but that's just kind of where they are right now in this funk. And uh, obviously the head coach not thrilled with the way that his hockey team played in this one or the way that they have played of late. You're going to hear from Rick Talk at a couple of clips, including some interesting comments on Quinn Hughes and Philip Horonic together and apart. All of our post-game audio here on Rink Wide, a presentation of Mr. Lube, 100% Canadian, pioneers of the no-appointment oil change, and now providing tire service and sales and no appointment needed there. Either 16 locations in the Lower Mainland for one near you. Go to MrLube.com. Rick Tockett, post-game after a 5-1 loss to the Kings, 
not holding back, not happy with his hockey club. Well, I didn't think we gave him a lot, but what we gave him was uh, was egregious. A couple of, you know, they're egregious. You know, we, <clears throat> I mean, you look at the goals, they're just, you know, we're all in, pushing the chips. And so we got we to gotta correct it. We got a day off tomorrow. Some guys need it. We got to recharge. And uh, we just got to get our mind right. Word of the night, Harm. Egregious. A couple, a couple of mentions of the word egregious there, and the just the way the goals that uh, the Canucks gave up way too easily. It, it seems apt to because even the first Dowdy goal, yeah, he, yeah, he has a lot of time and space, but also because of the bad line change, there was just no back pressure from the forwards. Kevin Fiala had all day to make a play, look for his options, scan, and when you give a player like Kevin Fiala that type of time, and then you give Drew Dowdy. Uh, that much time and space as well to find the soft ice, to walk in, unload. Uh, that's one of the plays that Taka would look at and go, that was a problem last year. I thought we I thought we took that out of our game, right? Uh, a couple of the turnovers, of course, s- some of the defensive breakdowns. How many times you'd see, again, Quinn Hughes, I've rarely, rarely seen him in situations where he's pinching, misses, and there's an odd man rush going back the other way. That happened multiple times tonight. Uh, that's something that has to be cleaned up. Again, defensively, it just sort of felt like they didn't give up a high volume of chances, but some of the breakdowns were reminiscent of the habits that they had under Brudrill last year. Well, you're a master of this podcast game because that leads us to Quinn Hughes and Philip Hironic. The coach was asked about what he thought of the two of them together, but also the fact that they started the game apart. I don't think uh, Rick Tockett liked either of those scenarios tonight. Some fairly cutting comments, and we certainly haven't heard that uh, around the captain. But here was Rick Tockett talking about Quinn Hughes and Philip Hironic. They got to play better. I mean, they know it. I mean, they got the best solutions. They got to play better. Together, or well, I don't care who they're playing with. You know, they got to be able to. You know, you got to be able to defend. You know, some maybe we're playing them too much, um, but they got to defend better. I think. For sure, and take what's given, but it's just not them. I mean, we—it's uh, a collective, you know. And like I said, I don't think we gave them much, but like I said, we're, you can't get breakaways, you can't anticipate instead of staying in front of the net, you can't pinch and give a guy a three on one. Like these are just egregious. You can't do. You know, once in a while it's going to happen, but I think they're just too frequent for our club, and we 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 had, we hung our hat most of the year on play without the puck and. We've lost that right now, and we need a lot. Some guys to to get right by, buy into it, and you know, sometimes you might have to win a game two nothing or two to one. I don't know if we have that mentality right now. I think we're some guys haven't scored in a while. We're pressing, and then when you press, you lose your coverage, you lose your man because you're pressing for goals or assists, and you know, stats look. I, I'm, I hate stats. Stats come when the team plays well. If you chase stats, then, you know, that's what happens. All right. There is a lot to get to there. Chasing stats, something that we haven't heard from the coach. Just need it right off the top. Just need to be better. They know it. He's not wrong. We talked about that in the opening segment that really for the first time all season now, a little bit of heat on the captain. But that comes with the territory of being a leader on a team like this, a first place team in a Canadian market. Like every stone is going to get unturned and, Right now, 60 games into the season, really for the first time, some questions just being asked about where is Quinn Hughes' game. It'll be back. 
Like, he hasn't fallen off a cliff. He hasn't forgotten how to play hockey. But interesting to hear the coach suggest that maybe there was some indication of, I don't think he was referring just to this game, but really this kind of malaise that Hughes has been in late, getting off his game away from the things that have made him successful. And as you said, seeing some defensive breakdowns that we're just not used to seeing from him. Yeah, even in previous games where he maybe hasn't been producing a ton of points since the All-Star break, I would at least note in the Jets game, for example, a couple of great defensive plays where maybe there'd be an odd man rush. He'd be the one guy back. He'd break it up with a stick. And you're like, okay, if he's not scoring points, at least his defensive play is sharp. At least he's still driving play with his own exits. And and that's where I think we really saw the slippage in tonight's game was we didn't see the clean zone exits. We didn't see the sturdy defensive play. In fact, there were the breakdowns, some of the pin, some of the missed pinches, uh, some of the icings, fan passes, just an overall lack of sharpness. And then when you don't have the offense on, on top of that, uh, it has a significant drag on this Canucks blue line because the second the Canucks don't really have a true quote unquote second pair no. the way uh, a contender would. Like Vegas, for example, they can roll out. Shea Theodore uh, and Brayden McNabb on their second pair when they're healthy. And you're like, that's one of the best second pairs in the NHL. The Canucks second pair on paper when they're using, using their typical pairs might be in the Pittsburgh game, for example, Cole Myers. That's not really contenders quality second pair, but they're getting away with it because they're sort of treating their bottom four as one balanced group with the assumption that Hughes and Hronek at the top are going to go supernova. Right. You're going to play a lot and play incredibly well, and then you just patchwork the committee that Rick talk, talked yeah. about earlier in the season. Uh, but Ian Cole's play is falling. It is. I, I, again, just a bad assumption, misread, uh, leads to an easy goal for Fiala, and that was a huge goal because it answered the Canucks' goal, took the energy out of the building, and paved the way for the Kings to skate to a 5-1 win. So, yeah, I mean, look, some good news earlier in the day that Carson Soucy skated with the group for the first time five and a half weeks since uh, injuring his hand in the game against the Toronto Maple Leafs back on the 20th of January. Doesn't mean that he's going to play as early as Sunday, but I would think he goes out on the road trip now and is an option pretty soon for the Vancouver Canucks. Maybe the rematch against the Kings or maybe the Vegas game. Who knows? But He's awfully close skating with the group for the first time. Still no sign of Dakota Joshua back at practice yet. And you heard the coach say uh, an off day for the Canucks on Friday. Just wants them to clear their minds, get right, rest up. And uh, he knows what's ahead with 22 games remaining for the Vancouver Canucks on the season. All right. Uh, Let's hear from Elias Patterson. I mean, he's just been the center of it all this week for the contract reasons and for his on-ice performance, and again, we talked about it, not a great night for him, just one shot on goal, doesn't find the score sheet. Uh, Elias Pettersson, after the game, uh, asked about playing a team like the Los Angeles Kings that take away time and space and sort of uh, maybe a preview of uh, what they're going to see down the stretch here and, and into the playoffs. Yeah, we didn't come out good. Uh, we got the lead at first. We had some good looks, but they were the better team today. we got to... Race up battle level. Uh, I think we showed uh, some parts of it during the game, but it's got to be for full 60 minutes, including myself. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like understanding uh, it's not going to be easy. Uh, I don't know if maybe if we come away easy with, and win some games or won some games. Um, 
Man, it's a little tough stretch, or uh, we're in a bad stretch right now. Um, but we just gotta look ourselves in the mirror and yeah, be better. So Petey says Kings were the better team. They were. Talked about the need to raise the battle level. And I think everybody's sitting here saying, yeah, <laughs> when? <laughs> like, tomorrow. Uh, and also says, uh, you know, it's not going to be easy. So he recognizes that. But I just think this entire city, this market, the province harm is waiting. They've seen JT Miller raise his game since the All-Star break. And with all the talk around Petey, the wait continues for him to sort of have one of those signature games that he had for uh, a long stretch in the month of January. Yeah, when he's at his best, he can single-handedly take games over. We saw that in uh, the month of January, especially in the early part where he just went rampage mode. The lotto line was unstoppable for a couple of weeks there. And Elias Pedersen was at the center of it all. Now, I understand he doesn't have the ideal wingers. I get that. But at some point it's also just on him to be driving the bus. And it, it'd be one thing if he was, let's say, looking really dangerous as a puck carrier, uh, was drawing defenders towards him, and you're thinking, boy, he's looking dangerous, and he's setting up chances that, oh, Ilya Mikheyev just isn't able to finish, or that Nils Hoaglander isn't able to finish. That's not been the case. It's um, In fact, there have been nights where Nils Hoaglander has been the best player on that line, where he's been the most noticeable player on the forecheck. And, I would also like to see, not just in terms of the offense, but some of Pedersen's other habits to improve. It feels like over the last, you know, since the All-Star break, that there have been some breakdowns in his off-puck play. Not that it's been egregious, but when he's on top of his game, think about how smart he is at jumping passing lanes. Think about how often he forces turnovers that way, uh, how many defensive plays he can break up. Uh, how many board battles he can he he can win, uh, how strong he can be on his feet. It doesn't feel like there's been there. There has been, there have been situations where he's been a little bit soft on the puck, where you don't see him as noticeable on the forecheck, where he isn't as active breaking up plays defensively. So I do wonder if part of getting him going offensively is also, well, you're going to start controlling the game when your off puck play, your anticipation, your reads are sharp as well. And a guy who has an absolute bomb as a weapon, we don't see the one-timer much on the power play, certainly not five-on-five, but he also has like an elite-level wrist shot, and we're not seeing much of that. Uh, When I looked at my game notes tonight, I mean, they have a wraparound chance with about 90 seconds to go in the second period, and against the Penguins the other night, his best-scoring chance came off a wraparound and then his own rebound. Uh, So, you know, there are opportunities that are in tight, but for a guy that has scored from distance and off the rush. Just none of that in his game right here, right now. All of our post-game audio on Rink-Wide, a presentation of Mr. Lube. And that brings us to the three stars, the Rink-Wide Vancouver three stars here on the podcast, as we always do. We check in at the rink and uh, take a look at the three stars there and then compare them to our own three stars. As you can imagine, a clean sweep for the Los Angeles Kings in the building, and spoiler alert here on Rinkwad as well, the three stars are selected by the Sportsnet uh, crew at the hockey game. Drew Doughty, Ange Kopitar, Kevin Fiala. I've got those three as the Rinkwad three stars, just in a slightly different order. Obviously, Doughty opens the scoring, and that was a big goal, as you said. The Kings get you down one, and, and you're in some trouble. Uh, I've got Fiala, though, as the first star, because I thought his goal, and 
Didn't have to do a lot of heavy lifting on it, but it was just such a big goal. Canucks had scored on the power play, cut the lead. They're in the hockey game for all of 90 seconds. And Fiala had a goal and two assists on the night. Drew Doughty with a goal and two assists as well. So I've got Doughty as a second star. And Anche Kopitar, I mean, that was a big goal too, to extend their lead. If the Canucks weren't in trouble at one nothing, they certainly were at two zip, five minutes into the second period. So Fiala, Doughty, Kopitar, the three stars and I would say an honorable mention for Quentin Byfield, who is having a breakout season, two more assists, two primary assists, uh, sets up Kopitar, sets up uh, Brant Clark as well. So a uh, big body that's figuring it out. Uh, he's going to be a force for a lot of years to come in this Pacific Division, and that's not good news for the Canucks or anybody else that resides here in the Pacific. But uh, I would throw him a nod as an honorable mention as well because I thought uh, he was a factor in this hockey game. Definitely. And to go back to Kopitar... For the Canucks' sake, they better hope you don't get vintage Kopitar down the stretch and if you end up meeting the playoffs because I remember last couple of playoff runs, Kopitar hasn't necessarily been at his best. And it makes sense. They ran into the Oilers back-to-back. And, I mean, when you're Kopitar and you're expected to be the number one center, it's it's a lot of heavy lifting when you consider the stars that Edmonton has at the top of its lineup. But... Um, in some of those series, you would look at Philip Deneau and he really stood out for his defensive masterclass play and a big reason why the Kings would take Edmonton to, you know, in game seven, for instance. So this is Kopitar. What version of him do the Kings get down the stretch? That's going to be huge, even from a Canucks perspective, uh, to watch for. Well, they're going to see a lot of Kopitar in the Kings. Uh, Again, the rematch next Tuesday and then two more games. Uh, The Kings will be back here in March and there again in April. I think a moment ago I said uh, they had played 60 games with 22 to go. This was game 62. So there are 20 games. That is officially the stretch. For some people, it's after the trade deadline. We're a week away from that as well. But there are 20 games to go in the regular season for the Vancouver Canucks. Lots still ahead here on Rinkwide Vancouver. We'll get to our stat that stands out, listener feedback, and we'll preview a three-game road trip that starts on Sunday in Anaheim and then gets a whole lot tougher from there. 5-1, Kings over the Canucks. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. Continuing to break down a 5-1 Canucks loss on home ice to the Los Angeles Kings. Jeff and Harm with you here. Rinkwide Vancouver. Lots of you on in, in the listener feedback segment. So uh, we'll get to... Uh, some of your contributions here momentarily, but uh, Harm, we always do a stat that stands out after each Canuck game, and well, there's certainly some stats that stand out for the wrong reasons, but again, maybe grasping for some some positivity uh, in the wake of this loss. Uh, Brock Besser's scoring, that part's good, and so is the fact that for all the talk in the market, the power play has now scored in three straight games. Still don't love the split power plays, and the first power play of the night was dreadful. Uh, but Besser with the shot, Miller finds him there, some good work, the guys in front of the net. And uh, again, the net front player is not just standing still and stagnant. There was some you know, dynamic movement to that power play. Uh, still trying to figure out if that's the first unit or the second unit. I guess when you get your leading goal scorer and your leading point guy, that's probably the, the first unit. But the fact that the power play has scored in three straight, I still think it's on the best players to sort it out and get back to you know, souping up one power play unit. But uh, that's a stat that stands out for me at the very least is that uh, after running cold for so long, 
the power play has now scored in three straight games. Yeah, after the first two unsuccessful ones, I wrote down a note that I wished they found a way to work the puck down low and engage in that front player besides just, hey, stand in front of the net. Because when you think of when the Canucks have been successful in the power play in past years, the net front player isn't just there to screen goalies, isn't just there to um, tip pucks, uh, hunt, hunt around the net. Part of the job description has been when you see one of the flank players in a position where they could use them, where they could use some help and extra passing option spray out to the side. So that way when the puck is worked down low, now the penalty killers are forced to pull out of his position a little bit. And, And that's a big part of a successful power play is if you're a stagnant power play, the PK can just stand there and they're going to defend the middle of the ice. You need to get a, uh, a PK moving. You need to get them committed to one side of the ice. You need to get their backs turning. Uh, you need to create some a little bit of chaos, a little bit of confusion. Create a scenario where they're making multiple reads so that then there's another threat that they're not aware of um, that's lurking that you can then take advantage of. And that's what happened on the third power play attempt where a couple times... Miller worked the puck down to Suter, who made sure to become available around the goal line, and he'd be quick in sending it back to JT. That drew some attention from Kings players, and then Connor Garland, of course, sort of trying to gain inside position, occupying Matt Roy's attention, and all of a sudden, once you have the confusion from those two factors, then Brock Besser's able to slip, and now all of a sudden, when JT Miller feathers a perfect pass to him, now Matt Roy doesn't have an opportunity to front that shooting lane. So that's um, that's something I really liked about that third and final power play uh, opportunity and something that I'd like to see them continue to implement moving forward because before these last three games where they've started to get the power play rolling, it's been a lot of they're just working the puck up high. It's it's Hughes and then the two, two flank players sort of playing catch in a little triangle. Right. And... They're just you're too far away from the net. The PKs aren't being dragged out of position. I like that uh, wrinkle there. All right, uh, let's get to our listener feedback here at Rinkwide Van. Lots you want in, and uh, lots to get to uh, after five one loss to the Kings. Tockets cheekbones on t- on Twitter says Hughes and PD have zero confidence. This team isn't going anywhere with our best players like this. And yeah, I mean, uh, there's a correlation. Best players aren't playing their best. And uh, the team, as a result, has one win. And, man, they had to work for it against Boston the other night, but uh, they did get the victory in overtime on the power play. Justin says, I hate the lines right now. When the Oilers struggle, they put McDavid and Dreisaitl together and double shift them. Our solution should be Lotto. Need to give the top players the best chance to prove themselves. Well, Taka tried that in the third period, and it blew up in his face. So uh, I believe in Lotto as an option. I don't mean that they have to play entire games or start games, but that's a card that Rick Tockett has. It has worked, certainly in January. I mean, those guys ran roughshod over the league for a short while, uh, but he has been reluctant to go back to lotto line up until tonight, and maybe after tonight he's going to be reluctant to go back to them again. I don't think they're going to find their optimal top nine line combinations until they find the right fit for Elisenthal, because... Especially now that Dakota Joshua's out, you're miss, you're already missing it. Put it this way. When you're healthy, 
this club felt that they were missing not just top nine piece, but a top six piece. So they went out and got Elias Lindholm. Now they're not healthy either because of Dakota Joshua's absence. And so when you have a situation where you're rolling Pedersen, Miller, Lindholm, Bluger down the middle, amazing, amazing center depth. But I don't think they have the wingers to no. sustain that because you're leaning on, I mean, heading into this game, Ilya Mikheyev next to Elias Pedersen. You're leaning on Pia Suter in a top six role. Uh, Arshdeep Baines in a top nine role. Uh, a lot of players that are question marks. And that's only one injury. What happens in the playoffs if uh-huh. another guy goes down with this current setup? So I think for the Canucks to get to a point where they're going to feel comfortable with their top nine lines, a big piece of the puzzle has to be Lindholm finding a fit, ideally with Pedersen, just because JT and Brock have some have some chemistry and Brock plays the right wing. Elias Lindholm, when he shifts over uh, from center, plays the right wing. Um, that needs to get going for the forward lines, I think, to really start clicking. Scott asks, has the black skate magic gone? Uh, I'm not prepared to go there. I think this is just the second loss in the black skate. They lost to New Jersey in that uh, 6-5 game in early December. Uh, unofficially, I want to say they're 11-2 and two in the black skate. So I think there's still a little magic in there, but uh, yeah, the black skate didn't look... I thought we might get a matchup of Chrome. These two teams had the potential to roll out Chrome, but uh, neither did. Of course, the Canucks with the blue Chrome and the Kings with the Chrome Chrome, but uh, they stuck to non-reflective helmets uh, in this hockey game. Uh, Adam, officially time to panic. Not ready to go there just yet, but certainly some uh, warning bells uh, going off, getting louder by the day. Colin says, turn it off after 40. Colin, you stuck with it through four. You missed the, you missed the best part of the hockey game. At least there was some action and some goals in the third. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, I sometimes have trouble falling asleep and <laughs> my mind starts racing. So what I'll do occasionally is find like a podcast or just some white noise to put on in the background just to calm myself down, relax, nothing to stimulate the brain. I'm thinking I, thinking I should just put on LA, LA King hockey games. <laughs> That's going to do it for you? Yeah. Honestly, like yeah. the, the, like they suck the well, oxygen out of the game. You're going to see a lot of game. them, Harm, next Tuesday. They're back here in late March. The Canucks are there again in early April. Uh, four of 16 in a stretch here. Uh, the Canucks and the Kings. So they're going to get a steady diet of the LA Kings, and they certainly couldn't break them down here. We'll see what happens next week down at Crypto.com. A couple of others here. Chris says for the last 12 to 15 games, the opponent's top players have outplayed our top players. Outside of JT Miller, I agree with that. If you go back, Mark Shifley had a four-point night. Kaprizov and Erickson Eck had six-point nights. Jared McCann had a four-point night. Kopitar and Doughty did their thing. Fiala as well. So not wrong. Uh, the Canucks, for the most part this year, certainly when they were riding high and winning, uh, they did a nice job of keeping some of the best players in the league in check, but they are starting to give up an awful lot to some of the better players on on their opponents these days. Definitely, and specifically in Ali's case, just because these two teams are going to face each other a lot, it's going to be difficult with a center depth matchup of Kopitar, Deneau, and if Dubois ever gets going. But Kopitar and Deneau especially, uh, with the size they have, the defensive reach, the two-way intelligence, you're not going to find a lot of space. So the Canucks top players are going to need to find a way to create offense uh, around those roadblocks. I want to finish with this one. Daniel in Korea says, Baines needs more time in the A. 
Managing Demko's practice time to get him in more games isn't working, hasn't looked sharp recently. Team as a whole looks slow and tentative tonight. So a couple of things there. Archie Baines, we mentioned, early penalty, didn't love that. Tripping just 16 seconds in, three penalties in five games. Uh, on the night, 13 minutes and 40 seconds of ice time, a minute and a half on the power play. No shots on goal, although he had a couple of decent looks. Uh, had two attempts, but uh, neither one of them was blocked by Gavrikov. Uh, and then he had that chance in the third where he kind of held on to the puck and looked like he was in a shooting position. And before he knew it, he had pulled the puck below the goal line and the offense kind of vanished at that point. But what did you make of his night? And how much longer, despite what Rick Tockett said on the weekend about being a fan and players wanting to play with him, this is five games now with no bottom line for him. Uh, and again, I think the game in Colorado, his NHL debut, still stands as as the high watermark for Archie Baines. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is I think the Colorado game was his best. And I think the LA perform- his LA- his performance against LA is probably his worst, which isn't the best sign. I think he had trouble handling the puck. There were a lot of situations where on the breakout as the Canucks were trying to transition through the neutral zone, as it was for a lot of players, mind you. But there were situations... Even when Baines got a shift here and there with JT Miller, where Miller would feed uh, Baines as the Canucks were trying to transition up the ice, and Baines just couldn't corral the puck. Uh, A lot of situations where he wasn't able to manage the puck, control possession, help the Canucks get set up in the offensive end. Uh, I I thought it was a rough night for him. Do you think he sticks with the, like he probably travels like Amon is the only healthy forward right now and I'm certainly not pinning this loss on Archie Baines it's funny like Linus Carlson's having a great run down in Abbotsford right now but every time he comes up there's just nothing to his game see people sort of banging the drum for a look at Pod Colson but they seem pretty intent on keeping him down in the minors uh, all season kind of like they did with Hoaglander last year so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Baines stays, but it might be time. Sometimes, you know, a five, five-game run, like, I'd have no issues if they took him out of the lineup for a night and just let him catch his breath a little bit. He's accomplished his dream. You know, he doesn't look out of place on a lot of shifts, but, yeah, you just, you'd like, certainly the penalties, get rid of those. You just like to see some sort of tangible takeaway. And so I do wonder if he comes out of the lineup at some point here out of the road where you can't shelter him. I mean, that's where he made his debut, and he saw his fair share of McKinnon on opening night and played against Marshawn some the other night uh, when Boston was here, a little bit of Sid uh, on on Tuesday. But, uh, well, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Uh, the other thing is Demko's workload. I, I have to think that uh, it's a Casey DeSmith start, finally, uh, in Anaheim. But I said earlier, like, there is now some pressure on the Canucks to get a result in Anaheim because if they don't, and the Ducks have nothing to play for, and a bunch of their guys are probably one foot out the door with the trade deadline a week away, but that can sometimes be a dangerous opponent if they want to trade chances, and they've got some guys that the other teams certainly are interested in. So uh, it's easy to look at the standings and say, oh, the Canucks should have no problems. Again, the Canucks have one win in seven. They've got problems right now. Uh, there are no easy games in the NHL. You hear that an awful lot, but uh, they certainly can't be looking past the Ducks to the rematch with the Kings or to Vegas that uh, wraps up the road trip. Yeah, you need that to be a get-right game, hit the reset button, have a little bit of confidence heading into that rematch uh, against LA because the last thing you want is to be carrying the frustration of we have been entering this rough patch and now we lost to Anaheim and now we have a rematch against a team that frustrated us defensively. 
especially now that it's on their home ice and we've got this gauntlet coming up, that's not the greatest mental state to be in as a team. So absolutely, they they need to pick up a win against Anaheim. And as we discussed the bottom six, yes, Dakota Joshua is missing, but can we get early season Sam Lafferty and PDG back? That'd be massive be nice. too. Yeah. Like even just the energy, like forget the goal scoring, the uh, the speed, the forechecking, the controlling play, the creating some chances, um, dragging the team into the fight a little bit. You're not getting a whole lot of that. Canucks had 33 hits in the hockey game. PDG didn't have one of them. Yeah. I mean, at some point I wonder, like he doesn't hurt you, but I'm also at the point where I'm like outside of penalty killing. What do you do? Right, which, and again, uh, Frank Cervelli on Securus and Price on Thursday said that the Canucks were keeping tabs on Brandon Duhame. He had floated that name earlier in the week and said that he thinks that there is some real interest there. And you can understand it, that, I mean, Duhame can be a pain in the ass to play against, and he can do all the other things that the guys here right now on that fourth line. And Rick Tockett has basically pleaded for a fourth line that has an identity uh, this fourth line is currently constructed, no offense. They're not overly physical. They certainly don't have an intimidation factor. You're right. What do they do here? A little bit of penalty killing utility. So I, I do think that that's an area that the Canucks, it may not be Duhame, but I think that that is an area uh, on top of some others that the Canucks uh, will be looking to add here ahead of the trade deadline, which essentially is one week away now, Friday, the 8th of March. 29th of February as uh, the Canucks played the Kings, and we record this episode of Rink-Wide late on a Thursday, but uh, for many, you'll be listening on Friday, one week from Friday, the NHL trade deadline. So uh, already a lot of talk in this market around the NHL. We're starting to see some movement as well, and uh, I would imagine that'll only pick up over the next seven days. Hopefully the Canucks' performance will pick up over the next few days as well. This was a dreary one as they fall 5-1 to the Los Angeles Kings. Harmon Dial stepping in to help us out here, co-hosting as uh, he does throughout the season. So Harm always uh, fun. The game wasn't so much fun, but always fun breaking it down with you. Thanks for having me. There you go. Uh, next one is Sunday. The Canucks in Anaheim to start a three-game trip. Southern California, the Ducks and the Kings, and then the Vegas Golden Knights next Thursday. So that's what's on the uh, docket for the Vancouver Canucks, their next three all away from home. The LA Kings end up skating circles around the Canucks. 5-1, the final score at Rogers Arena for Harm. This is Jeff. Thanks so much for listening to another edition of Rink-Wide Vancouver.